Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. I'm your host, Tamala Shah. And today we have a very special guest. We have Dana Diaz. Welcome to the show, Dana. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I like to tell everybody how I, you know, got in touch with everyone. And Podmatch, of course, was the wonderful link for us. And I'm so grateful for them and so grateful that you reached out. Because I just, you know, reading everything about you. I cannot wait for the audience to hear your story. So tell them a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I just recently published a book a few months ago called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. Um, it's about my former marriage. I was with him for 25 years. Um, and the irony of um, the abuse I endured was that I had come out of an abusive childhood. Um, little girl, I had no idea what narcissism was, but I definitely, um, I was verbally and physically abused. It was awful, but I left that house as soon as I could thinking there's no way I'm ever going to let anybody treat me like this. I was very strong-willed and determined. Um, well, I fell for this guy and I didn't know about covert narcissism, (laughs) which, um, you know, is the type of narcissism where, they have the same qualities as a narcissist that they feel they're very important and they need praise and admiration and all these things to fulfill their ego, but they do it in a way. So my ex being a covert narcissist, he was very humble. Um, Many people liked him, you know, but he kind of had like this personality. I, I always said it was like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, like poor me, nothing good ever happens. Like I actually felt bad for him and I was like his cheerleader. I'm like, no, we'll make it happen. It'll work. Let's do this. And I just wanted to make him happy. Um. And, you know, that kind of leads into, you know, like your podcast, the codependency, of course, coming out of a childhood where I was told almost daily, I was not wanted, I was not loved, nobody would ever love me, nobody, you know, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't skinny enough, I wasn't this and that and everything. I just, I didn't even know why I existed. Honestly, I struggled with that. But, you know, so of course, this man promised me love and everything I wanted, you know, which really just all came down to love and having a person think I was important too. And so I just wanted to make him happy. So I think that just, that was my first real um, experience with the codependence, which really worked well for him being a narcissist because they love servitude. And I was his ultimate servant because all I wanted to do was to make him happy because if he was happy, then I would be rewarded with love. Mm -hmm. And there you go. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, it, it, it turned into an outright abusive situation by the end of the 25 years, um, there was domestic violence, um, there was financial, um, abuse as they call it. Um, there was a lot of stuff. There was some sexual interaction that was not, um, wanted on my part, but which I allowed because who's going to believe somebody that their husband 
was right. having non-consensual right. consensual right. relations with them. It's it's a and nobody would have believed me anyway because he was this nice, charming, funny person everybody right. loved. So did he? Was it a, an abrupt change? Well, I guess I should ask first. No. Was there a change? Um, meaning, was he always that Eeyore type narcissist, or did he become very me? No, he was always the covert narcissist. That is amazing because you only hear about the very charming that, well, I shouldn't say only hear about, let me, let me pull that back. I have only experienced hearing about the charming and then they turn mean, not that the covert, you know, where it's that way all the time, but they're still, they still have these narcissist ways. That's not This was, I call, you know, in the book, I refer to him as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because that's what it was. I never knew which one Mm -hmm. I was going to get, though, but I learned over the years, just like in my childhood, there were things that I knew I could tell by a look, I could tell by a sound, something's about to go down. And so I learned the same things with him. You become hypervigilant. You know, you you Mm -hmm. see, hear, notice, observe every detail in your environment because you are when you're just trying to survive you don't even realize it's happening but you are literally scanning the room every time you walk in a room you are scanning assessing people's energies trying to figure out where threats are what's going on right. to decide if you feel safe or not you know it's, 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 it's like a survival a very, it's like survival oh it's right? terrible it's terrible and the anxiety that comes with that is ridiculous but no with my ex the thing is to everybody else he was this person I mean he'd drop anything anytime for anybody just not me but my issue that I would bring up to him all the time was like well it's obviously a choice because <laughs> you are choosing not to treat me well Mm -hmm. Um, so what do I need to do? Like, I mean, I found myself Googling how to be a good wife because I thought something he was making it out. Like I felt like something was wrong with me. I must not be doing something right to please this man. And I mean, I was, I did everything he wanted. I tried to model myself to be everything he wanted me to be just to get his love. And it just wasn't working. But to answer your question um, back to, was it always that way? Yes. But see, coming out of the abusive childhood, he wasn't as, um, see, my my stepfather was an overt narcissist. So he was always coming at me very direct. So this covert stuff, it's very insidious because it's hidden in snide remarks. It's hidden in jokes that, you know, you, you know, that wasn't a joke, but they say they're joking and you have this conflict in your head that you're trying to, you're constantly questioning everything because you're not sure, am I taking it wrong? Am I sensitive? It, you know, and that's how they start making you think that it's you you're the problem. You're the one taking it the wrong way. You're the, you know, but the other stuff, I mean, yeah, he got physically aggressive with me. You know, I had a crowbar swung at my head at the, even after our divorce, there was a knife situation. He shot a gun outside my bedroom. I mean, it was, you know, when you're in a situation like that, you, you know, people say, if it was that bad, why'd you stay? Well, you know, again, I keep, I keep going off on these tangents, but no. One thing that people 
don't understand about any abusive relationship, whether narcissism is involved or not, or any domestic violence, you know, women are not, and I'm going to say this men too, because it can go both ways. Absolutely. You don't want to be with, you don't commit to somebody who's, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have some choice words in my head, but no, I mean, if Chucky's come walking down the street with a butcher knife and his crazy hair, no, I'm not going out on a date with you, buddy. No, they dress nice. They look nice. They charm you. Um, you know, they, they use sweet talk, you know, all the same things. We're not falling for like these deranged psychopaths. It's their representative that they're showing at that moment. Right. So you have to understand they get you, they right. lock you down. And the then, yeah. then they start, you know, like the first thing, it was only three weeks into this relationship with him that he, it, it was a, I thought a, a complete overreaction to something that, you know, people normally wouldn't be upset about this. Mm -hmm. um, but he threw something at me and I was like, oh, I don't think so, buddy. It scared right. me, but he was so hostile and so nasty, but gosh, darn it. If I didn't turn into my mother and, and in that second, and that's when your childhood creeps in, in ways that you don't ever want it to, where right. I was like, oh, well, maybe he, you know, like I got out of there, but overnight I'm thinking, well, maybe he had a bad day or he was in a bad I mood. Maybe something happened at work. Yeah. yeah. And then over time he started, he always had a reason for everything. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but, and it was always something or somebody else's fault that he had acted in those ways. So I bought it and, you know, then time goes on. And I think we can all relate when you've got all this time invested and you're invested in, in each other's families and, you know, you're, you're living together and, you know, you like just go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I ended up marrying him, but I mean, I, I talk about it in the book. I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it on the wedding day. I remember standing there in my dress and everything waiting to walk in and they started playing the wedding march and I just I I mean everything in me just like paralyzed I just all like, of the signals in your body I was you like I don't want it I, this isn't what I want he's yeah. not who I want to be at the end of that aisle then you start um, thinking about how you if you turned away you disappoint all these people and oh my gosh I was like I can't do that and the worst part, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I have to laugh at certain things. We had made, I had, I like doing things differently from everybody else. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in the Catholic church. He refused. He did. His mother did not believe in God. He didn't believe in God. You know, that should have been a sign to me, but as important as it was for me to get married in the church, he absolutely refused to go through pre cana or do any of that. So we had a civil ceremony and here's where the irony is. It was on a cruise ship on Lake Michigan. So, I mean, let me tell you, if I wanted to turn around and run, you I'd be swimming. Anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. to say I was stuck, like I couldn't just walk out of the church and, yeah. and into the street. Like I was on this boat. I would have Literally. to be like, uh, yeah, changed my mind. But hey, while we're here for the next <laughs> few hours, like, and I just, uh, you know, we, it's, it's, you know, but the sad part is, is that we, you know, I know I'm not the only one that has ever felt that. And I just thought I went into it thinking, 
it's going to be okay. He'll get older. He'll, he'll mature. He'll, you know, he won't yeah. be as angry. He'll mellow out. Yeah. That just so got worse. Not so much. So if we have, so you, you've given a lot of signs that people can look for in advance, right? Um, but if, just to kind of name a few things, just so people, because in, in my head, you've named several in what okay. you're about, but if people just need a list of things to look for, if they're dating someone, just to know in advance, this might, this person might be a narcissist. Okay. Before I answer that question, I'm going to say this, okay. not all narcissists are bad. Okay. There are people, I actually know a couple of narcissists that actually, I they make me laugh. They are very, very into themselves and they know everything and all that, but they're not hurting anybody. But they're not abusive so, to other people. Right. Okay. The narcissists okay. that I'm talking about that I have dealt with are called malignant narcissists. It's kind of okay. like if you have a tumor, you can have a benign tumor. It's not bothering you. It's just there. And then there's malignant tumors that are going to kill you. And, and it's kind of the same way with narcissists. So I don't want any, anybody to think that they have to be searching for narcissists to avoid them. And with that, I'm also going to say in all fairness to people, just because somebody is a narcissist, even a malignant narcissist, mm -hmm. does not mean that they are not entitled to have a loving relationship with somebody. I don't know if they can. But I feel that there is somebody for everybody and that there is going to be somebody that would be in the same situation I was in and be perfectly fine and happy with it because of whatever, you know, their perspective and their life experience is. Mm -hmm. So That's with that said, well, we have to be fair mm -hmm. because, yeah, absolutely. you know, absolutely. and I want also I want the audience to know that you have a degree in psychology from DePaul University. Yeah, journalism so, and psychology I studied, but I try, I don't know if it's the Catholic in me. I know Catholics are are stereotyped as being judgmental, but I I try to actually, you know, live by yeah. Jesus's word and not judge because Absolutely. you know, some of the nicest people I met are people that uh, you know, uh, others would say stay away from. So try not to be judgmental. Absolutely. So, with that said, if you are concerned, you know, I always tell people it's not so much the red flags you're looking for in the other person. I think because we all come from a different life experience and different perspective, we have to see what we feel. Like I am a firm believer in gut feelings. My great grandma used to say that's your guardian angel whispering in your ear. So you better listen to it. And when I don't listen, I usually am like, oh, I should have listened. Yeah. But I always say, if you're with somebody and you're just, I, I mean, it sounds so simple. Like everybody wants a list or, or a quiz or mm -hmm. really, it's just, if you're with somebody and they're just really, you're just not feeling right. Even if you have nothing that you can put your finger on, mm -hmm. that's not good. I mean, just narcissism aside, why would you want to, I mean, I can tell you, I wish that I would have listened to my gut feelings um, because right from the get-go, first time I met my ex, I was like, oh, forget him. Like, I'm not trying to be with somebody who's like this, but listen to that because mm -hmm. really your gut is telling you something. People don't realize the relation between, honestly, your digestive system, your literal gut and mm -hmm. your heart and your brain. 
you know, that is your body saying, "Uh uh-uh, get out, you know, just like if a lion is chasing you, you're not going to stand there and be like, oh, look at that lion. You're going to run. That is your body. You're, it's giving you adrenaline to get the heck out of there. It's the same thing with people. That's why sometimes you click with people. Like, I feel like I've known you my whole life and other people you're like, okay, like, don't care for your whole life, but we'll we'll be cool. Right. And then other people are like, oh my gosh, like, please don't ever put me in the same room as, as that person ever again. It's the right. same thing with dating. And I think that if you start off on the wrong foot, if there's anything that you're feeling that just doesn't feel right, little off or just outright, you don't like it, mm-hmm. don't pursue it. Just say thank you. And, and you know, nice to meet you. Thanks for the experience. Yeah. yeah, have it. That self-respect that I didn't have. but narcissists i mean a lot of people say what is a narcissist people have spent decades and decades studying this and compiling information mm-hmm. there's supposedly many types but you know all in all like i said before they all have this common need to be the you know they have to feel important very important like superior to everyone else they want to be treated in a superior way to everyone else. They want to feel that, Um, you know, there's different theories as to why, um, but they go about it in different ways. You know, like my ex, he manipulated, manipulated situations to get that praise. I mean, he was even coaching some of our son's, you know, sports teams. And I thought this man didn't even want children. Like he doesn't like kids at all. Like what is he doing? But you know, he loved, he, he would come home and tell me, Oh, this parent said, thank you to me for running practice today. But that parent has never said thank you to me. And you know, this person, and you know, like he needed to have that attention. Um, but not so much like an overt narcissist, like you and I have experienced also, those are the people, and some of them aren't bad. They're just narcissists where they have to be like, they are the life of the party when they walk in a room, like everybody knows it. Everybody knows they know they, you know, they're like, look at me. I look good. I have, you know, these abs and look at my clothes and I'm driving a Cadillac and like, they got to be showy about it. And I, you know, that doesn't bother me. Like, do you do what you got to do? But the covert narcissism or or when a narcissist does get abusive, that is a problem. Yeah. So for you, when did you know that you needed to leave? Uh, you know, the problem with narcissism and being in any abusive relationship, I'm sure you've heard that there's an abuse cycle. I likened it to being on a hamster wheel. And I found that many other people call it that too. I, I even say in the book, like, I kept trying to run from it, but then I was always in the same place, right back to where I started. There's a push and pull. It's kind of an ebb and flow. When they sense that you're just done with them and you're not interested in this relationship anymore, or you're disgusted with them because of something they've done, then that's when they're, they're nice to you and they're loving. They're that person that you knew in the beginning. So then you have this renewed hope. Like, oh, okay. Like, it's going to be okay. They're capable of it. He really does love me. He told me he loves me. He'll do anything for me. And they give you, they, they tell you all these false premises, whatever it is that they, because they're very perceptive, whatever's bothering you, 
they are definitely going to be like, I won't do this anymore. I'll work harder on that. I'll try because I love you. And it's you and us again, you know, you and me against the world. And we're going to, and you fall for it because you're like, I've got time invested. We got a mortgage. We got a kid. We got our families. Like, I'm not trying. I didn't get married to get divorced. So let's just keep trying. Mm-hmm. But for me, and, and this is one of the main reasons I wrote my book is because people don't realize the physical aspect of it. You think words can't hurt you. You think that even I got the silent treatments a lot in my childhood and in my marriage, sometimes for weeks, weeks of just, it's like, I wasn't even there. Walk past me in a room, not respond to me, completely ignoring me. That is a military tactic that they use in Guantanamo Bay with war prisoners. You don't do that to your spouse or to a little girl that you're supposedly supposed to be raising. That's just not right. So I ended up getting, I I literally had two dozen symptoms that were all so random. You know, everything from my hands would go numb to, um, gosh, I had urinary frequency. I was going, I started counting. I was going 14 times an hour peeing, like, and not just piddle peeing, sorry for the TMI, but like peeing, peeing and you know, blacking out, um, breathing issues. I, I mean, you name it, arrhythmia, my heart, but my heart rate would fall and I'd get fevers and headaches and stomach aches. And I mean, it, there were just so many things. Went to doctor after doctor. Most of them said, oh, you have anxiety. Here's a pill. Or, oh yeah, here's a pill for your heart. Here's a pill for that. Here's a pill for your digest. I didn't want pills. I wanted somebody to figure out what was wrong with me. Of course, so right. It took yeah. a functional medicine doctor and a neurologist to figure out I had, they diagnosed me through Mayo Clinic with um, upper airway resistance syndrome that the neurologist said it's like having COPD, the pulmonary disorder mm-hmm. and fibromyalgia all at the same time. Oh, and it was basically what was happening is the stress that I was enduring at home for all those years, it was releasing, you know, again, when we're in fight or flight running from that tiger that's coming at us, we perceive a threat, cortisol or adrenaline, one or the other is going to run through your body. They're kind of sister hormones. Cortisol is the one that comes through when you're under stress. So I had so much cortisol, I mean, astronomically high cortisol running through my body at such high rates and so consistently for so long that my body actually thought, like a cancer that I had this thing that it had to eradicate. So my white blood cells were even killing themselves off my red blood cells. I, every, there was like this war inside my body. And within a two week period, I dropped down to 93 pounds. I was skeletal. I could barely move. And I mean, like I could barely stand from sitting up. I was in so much pain. And the doctor finally was like, like, I want people to understand like my hands wouldn't even work. My muscles would not, I could not tear toilet paper from a toilet paper roll. I could not pick up a dryer sheet. And the doctor said, Dana, your body is shutting down. All of your organs are at the minimal survival rates Mm. because your body's doing everything it can like a generator. It's trying to keep your lungs uh, breathing and your heart beating but you are barely alive. He said, you have got to take care of whatever situation. I mean, and he knew he just didn't want the liability of saying it. He said, you got to change your life circumstances or you're going to die. You're going to let this kill you. Your body is dying. It's shutting down. And 
that's when I, I woke up and said, okay, I promised my kid I would stay until he was out of school. I, I, you know, being a faithful person, I thought I knew what he was when I married him. I'm in this, we're just going to make it work. But at that point I had to just choose myself. It's not what I wanted. I never wanted to get a divorce. I never wanted to disappoint my son by divorcing his dad, but I had to be done with it. I just couldn't do it anymore. And you, um, you wanted to live literally. I wanted to live literally and mm-hmm. breathe. And, you know, like you could even hear the scratchiness in my voice. I've never in my entire 47 years of existence smoked a cigarette or anything. I have never. So this is all just my lung issue. I have an, a little oxygen machine. So, you know, this is something I'm going to have to live with the rest of my life. But I need people to see that one, if you think you're staying out of some spiritual reason, religious reasons, some noble effort, you know, to be that wife that goes through the tough times. Well, honey, the tough times, sometimes they're not going to end. We go through tough times, but when, when they're going to kill you, um, you need to be done. And so, yeah. And so I wholeheartedly believe, you know, because of the struggles I had early in life, um, you know, with, with wondering like, why was I here if my mother didn't even want me and like, everybody's treating me like a piece, like, why am I even here? I would ask God that all the time. Why, why, why did you put me here? Cause if you put me here to suffer, this sucks. <laughs> I don't, don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore, but it took an amazing um, priest who is also a, a wonderful friend from Africa um, to open my eyes to everything. After everything was said and done with my ex, he said, God put you here for a reason. He said, did it ever occur to you that he wanted you to go through all that and that he gave you the talents to speak and to write. And, you know, he wanted you to be able and, and, and we laughed because I said, Oh, are you saying God gave me a big mouth so I could go use it for good? And he's, he just laughed and said, well, you said it. (laughs) So, you know, even if, if people laugh at me and say, Oh yeah, God has nothing to do with it. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel like he did put me here for a reason. He had a plan for me all along and I didn't like the way I had to get here, but knowing that I have had messages from women and I've had a couple men too, believe it or not saying that they read my book or they heard a podcast and, and because of that, they had the strength to leave a toxic relationship or they're thinking about leaving an abusive relationship. That's all I want. I want people to be aware they're not alone. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't ever let you anybody make you feel like you're any less than the amazing and beautiful and valuable human being that you are. And, and I want to be here to show people too, that there's a beautiful life on the other side of it you know? Absolutely. And I want to say again, the name of your book is Gasping for Air, The Strength Hold of a, of, of a Narcissistic Abuse, right? Yes. Okay. That can be found where? Most people go on Amazon because we all love Amazon, but it's on any website where books are sold. We are not on bookshelves yet, but we are working on it. And I will, I always tell people, follow my social media as well. I do have a website, DanaSDS.com, where there is a link to buy the book. And I will also be posting updates because I have the prequel that is written and with the publisher right now i'm waiting for my notes back but that will discuss my childhood Um, and i have a sequel that i am actually working on simultaneously because 
that that is the part of me that is crazy (laughs) trying to publish two books at once but the sequel gives you know the so-called happy ever after to show people like I'm in this beautiful marriage now with this amazing man and it's a healthy relationship even though we both come from divorces and and our kids and you know we we too face some struggles that we've had to overcome but it works and it, it it's it's a blessing. I love that. I love that. I love that you're going to go into your childhood because it'll, sh- it'll show people, mm-hmm. it'll give them another look at why you were into yes. your marriage, why you chose that particular person. And yes. then it also lets them know that on the other side, if you just hold on and do the needful, there is happiness there. there Absolutely. Happiness there. Absolutely. And I honor you for being willing to be so open and transparent and and just beautiful. You know, I wish that they could see you. They're going to hear you, but oh. <laughs> you are just absolutely gorgeous. Your smile. Oh, thank you. Beautiful. So it just, it's just makeup. I swear. Makeup <laughs> and I had braces. I had a good orthodontist. Oh, uh, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I absolutely love it, you know, and it just lets people know that there is, you know, no matter where you are, yes. you know, there's this thing where they say trouble don't last always, you know, yes, when you yes. make the right choice and you choose you and do the needful safely, of course, the other side is wonderful. So yeah. is, so we're, we're at the end. So I always ask my guests if there's anything that you could tell the audience, just one last thing, what would it be? Oh, there's so much. (laughs) Notice I like to talk so much. I will, I will say this. I I think going along with what you were just saying and we're a good way to end this is just don't ever minimize who you are. You, everybody has different talents and gifts, weaknesses, strengths, you know, but the thing I'll share this one last tidbit, you know, there are days because yeah, you know, I'm smiling and happy right now. And and we're having this discussion. But you know what, I've been through a lot of rough stuff. And once once in a while, yeah, I, I just break down or I have a little overreaction, I call it a moment. But, you know, I remember I had one a couple weeks ago. And I told my husband, I'm like, I I just I didn't want to be around him. And because I'm like, I don't even like myself right now, you can't possibly like me. And he just very casually said, no, I, I don't really like very much when you're like this. But he said, I, I still love you. And I always will, because mm-hmm. I know what's in your heart. And I think that we forget to forgive ourselves. Yep. And I will, I'm, we can have a whole other podcast about forgiveness. I am not, um, I'm not going to go there. But I think the most important person to forgive when you're trying to heal is yourself. And and just acknowledge and celebrate who you are. You are not broken. You are not damaged. You are just who you are and you lived the life you lived, but you are still valuable and beautiful in your own way. Oh, completely love that. Completely. Dana, thank you so much. I so appreciate you being on the show. Again, DanaSDS.com. Guys, get the book. It is going to change your life. Um, and we can't wait for the, the prequel and the su- sequel to come. So please contact me. I'd love to have you back. That's so wonderful. wonderful. I would love to come back as well. And yes, I will keep everyone posted. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. And audience, I want to tell you what I always tell you. You chose the Codependent Me podcast and you could have chosen any podcast out there, but you chose this one and I thank you. And I want you to remember that you matter and your story matters. Have a wonderful day. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time. So thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me. And check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.